Speaking in tongues, miracles, healing, people being slain in the spirit, is any of that for real? Is some of it real and some of it just people getting caught up in emotion? What is the role of the Holy Spirit in the church and in our lives? You know, that mysterious third person of the Trinity that doesn't seem to get talked about as much. What are the gifts of the Spirit? And do all of them still happen today? What does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit? And what about those people who have never really felt the Holy Spirit? We're going to be talking about all of that and more on today's episode of Theology On Air. Well, welcome back to Theology On Air. Um, I am Sarah Stone. I'm the Outreach Director at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church and your host for today's debate. And I'm joined by two special guests. We've got Stephen, who is an academic advisor, librarian, IT guy, Greek and Hebrew tutor, chapel musician, and THM graduate at the Houston campus of Dallas Theological Seminary. I realized I just said Stephen. It's Stephen Curto. Mm -hmm. He enjoys writing, reading, two-stepping, that's so fun, <laughs> and discussing theology and politics on his weekly podcast, Reasoned Refrain. And I'm just going to out him that he also has a cocktail every time, a new cocktail that he talks about, which is really mm -hmm. fun. Uh, so that dovetails with Theology on Tap sure. nicely. For yeah, sure. And we have Dan Akins, who is the Assistant Pastor for Evangelism at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church. He received his Master's of Divinity from Fuller Theological Seminary and is an ordained pa Presbyterian pastor in the ECO denomination. He's married to Lauren and has two little ones. Madison is three and William is one. So welcome to both of you. Thank you very Thanks. much. Yeah, we are going to be doing something that we're trying to do once a month which is to have a spirited dialogue, some might call it a debate, about something where Christians uh, sometimes disagree. And so today we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. But before we do that, uh, Theology on Air is um, a ministry born out of Theology on Tap, which is an event that we do every other month here in Houston for young adults, where people in their 20s and 30s come together for craft beer and to talk about interesting ideas around theology, philosophy, religion, faith and culture. And then the podcast allows us to kind of go deeper into some of those ideas. And uh, if you're watching live, feel free to comment in questions for us to ask these guys. Um, like I said earlier, this is a debate, but it's a friendly debate. These are two of the friendliest, nicest guys I know. And so I might have to actually make them be meaner to each other. But um, I'm going to let them tell you a little bit about where they stand. But the idea is that the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity, kind of mysterious, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit doing? You've probably heard about people that are speaking in tongues or getting slain in the Spirit or charismatic or Pentecostal churches. And then there's people that maybe don't believe in all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And there are fancy words for that that I'll let you guys tell us about. But each of these guys views it a little bit differently, and I'm going to let them kind of tell you. So I tell you what, Stephen, why don't you start us off? Tell us a little bit about you and your kind of stance on this, and then we'll kick it over to Dan. Yeah. Well, so I'm representing what what's kind of broadly called the cessationist view, which is a fancy word that comes from the word like cease, right? To to stop or to cease. So we would say that certain gifts given by the Holy Spirit have have ceased for a time until the end. Uh, so specifically, the the three called the sign gifts: uh, uh, healing, speaking in tongues, and prophecy. Those three. Um, would we would say have have ceased with the closing of the canon, or What's the with, canon, uh, the completion of, of writing of the Bible, okay, um, or some other people who would be cessationists would say with with the death of the apostles, those would be kind of the two markers. Different people would say for when they ceased or when they stopped being given out regularly. Mm -hmm. um, some of the kind of mischaracterizations or. or part that goes too far to say all cessationists believe this would be to say the Holy Spirit's not doing anything or to say that someone can't be miraculously healed or the Holy Spirit can't miraculously cause someone to speak a language that they don't know, don't know or something like that. Uh, we would say that that can happen. It's just not like a regular gift that's passed out the same way that the Holy Spirit gives out the gift of, say, teaching or preaching or acts of mercy or administration, things like that. Hmm. Okay. So all of those sections in the Bible that talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. some you would say still apply, like teaching, discernment, hospitality, those kind of things. Right. But these three that you talked about, healing, tongues, and prophecy, aren't really happening unless God just wants to icing on the cake, kind of. Right. Yeah, and we so the language we would use to describe kind of what that is is, is filling. So the, the Bible uses two 
the word filling in two different ways, kind of. You've got you've got filling, meaning like temporary, special empowerment for miraculous things, uh, filling of the Holy Spirit in that sense, like when the the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and they're able to speak in tongues. Uh, or filled with the Spirit, more like in the Ephesians sense of, of be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, praying always, rejoicing, that sort of thing. Meaning like that that progressive uh, becoming more like Christ and being more aligned mm-hmm. with the will of God. We'd say those are the two two kind of nuances of that word. And so the first type of filling would be the one we would say can still happen and kind of gets misunderstood as, as a gift of the Spirit in the present age. Okay, and let's clarify something for our listeners. I think we all agree that what happened in the book of Acts at what we call Pentecost uh, is that the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and they said that there were you know tongues of fire over their heads and they spoke in languages, real actual languages that exist in the world, like you know mm-hmm. Arabic and I don't know. Maybe English was in there. I'm joking. Um, But the people that were listening around them all heard the gospel being preached in their own language, and that was the miracle there. So it wasn't what I'm hoping we'll get into later, this like personal prayer language, which some people will make fun of and say sounds like gibberish, Mm -hmm. um, that nobody knows. It is a language that somebody else knows. That's what happened at Pentecost. We all agree that happened, just like it said. Yeah. But that's a different kind of tongues than what often people are referring to today when they say speaking in tongues. Right. right. Yeah, and I, I I think Dan would agree. Someone who who holds that view of, of speaking in, in a prayer language kind of thing would not look to Acts 2 for support for their view. They'd look to uh, 1 Corinthians. Oh, don't steal yeah. from him. Okay. okay. Well, let me kick <laughs> no, it over. No, he's right. That's right. Uh, so, Dan, tell us a little bit about you and how you became interested in this and what you think. Yeah. Well, um, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and Presbyterians are traditionally, historically cessationist. And um, goes all the way back to the earliest theologians. And I grew up in a church where I, I'm sure there were sermons on the Holy Spirit, but I don't remember a single one mm-hmm. until I came back from college and we had an interim pastor preach on the Holy Spirit. And I was like blown away that Presbyterians were talking about this. Because in the meantime, I had gone off to college and met uh, friends from all sorts of different church backgrounds, and many of them charismatic or Pentecostal. And um, they just started having really honest valuable conversations with me, challenging my perspective. And then throughout college also, like studying the scriptures, understanding it more fully and experiencing some of the gifts myself um, brought me to a very different place. And so the position that I hold or that I'm discussing today, it would be broadly continue a continuationist, which is just the opposite of what Stephen just explained, that it's continuing on, and it's particularly those spiritual gifts. So, you know, a continuationist perspective might be that all of the spiritual gifts that are described in the New Testament uh, continue on today, and we should obey Paul's command Mm -hmm. to desire them, to pursue them. Um, At Pentecost, just like he was saying, the Spirit was poured out on the church in a new way, just as Jesus promised in, like, John 7, and then Acts 1, he promised he was coming. And then Joel, he prophesied it in Joel 2. And when uh, the Spirit fell on some, um, when once the Spirit fell on believers um, in the Old Testament, just for like specific appointments, now the Spirit was poured out on all believers um, who trust in Jesus and they, in Spirit and dwells believers. And the pouring out of the Spirit in a new way at Pentecost, uh, was uh, once for all. It couldn't be repeated because uh, we're never going to get the Spirit in a new way ever again, right? Mm. So that's the once for all piece of it. But the effect of the Spirit being poured out is not once for all. Just like Stephen was saying, there's continued fillings of the Spirit in believers. And when a believer becomes a Christian for the first time at conversion, um, there's multiple metaphors used in Scripture for that, but baptized in the Spirit, which we'll get into more later, is one of those. And um, the Spirit actually indwells believers. And at the time, when the Spirit indwells believers, the Spirit gives uh, the individual, and it could give, he can give the believer later on, too, spiritual gifts. And we're going to talk a lot about spiritual gifts today, because this is where mm-hmm. Stephen and I most uh, disagree. Yeah. And um, it's important, too, not all Gifts are for all believers, um, but it is promised that believers, each believer will receive at least one spiritual gift. Um, And this is another big distinction for the continuationist 
is that the spiritual gifts are for all seasons, eras of the church from Pentecost to Christ's coming back. And um, I would say that's actually just one era, but the closing of the canon necessarily ended the foundational elements of the gifts of like prophecy or the office of the apostle. But, um, uh, but the gifts were not merely foundational. So while the gifts, especially prophecy, were used in the foundation of the church, um, the, uh, there's more purposes for it. And so because they continue and because Paul commanded we should pursue them, um, we should keep doing that, praying for the gifts and pursuing them. Okay, I'm going to ask, but I have so many questions. I want to hmm. talk about when you go to a church and everyone's speaking in tongues and falling out and all that kind of stuff. But before we get there, maybe I want to hear both of you kind of just react to the other one and provide some scripture. So like, hmm. where are kind of your go-to passages that you would say, this is how I have fallen into this camp? And maybe you can also kind of respond to what Dan said. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, the first thing, I, Dan and I, so we got coffee about a month ago and we kind of just met each other and we're talking about like, just trying to feel each other out a little bit and see you know, what kind of person are you? So what am I getting myself into? Uh, and we both were like, you know, like I'm in this camp, but not like, not like in this camp, right? Like we, we all, we both want to like make some distinctions and be like, yeah, I may not, it's not like a uniform thing. So I'm comfortable calling myself a cessationist, but a lot of cessationists would say I'm not one because of some of the mm. things I'm like, well, so I see this in scripture. Yeah, basically. Yeah, okay, cool. exactly. Well, we got the perfect people for the podcast uh, then. But, but yeah, so the, the kind of the only core text for cessationists is first Corinthians 13 that looks at, uh, Paul right after the, the famous love passage, right? Let me, let me, let me look it up in my paper Bible cause I'll recognize it. Uh, Love is patient. Love is kind. I guess the patient part would be applying here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. For but that's what we're talking about, right? If I speak yeah. in the tongues of exactly. and angels but have not love. Right. It's in the middle of this. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12 is spiritual gifts. It's, it's the body and, and the diff different gifts for different things. 13 is the famous love passage. And what cessationists would say is the, the one verse on cessationism. And then 14 is more stuff on spiritual gifts and how to use them. So it's this one big unit. But 13, uh, starting in verse... Uh, Eight, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial passes away. And so the big question is, what is the perfect? Because that's the thing that, that lets you know that the partial, the tongues, prophecy, uh, gifts of, or knowledge will pass away, will cease is the actual word. Hmm. So... That's where cessationists will look, and we'll, we're saying the perfect is the completion of the canon uh, that, that completes the revelation that God intended for the church to have. That would be how, how we'd come at it. Um, and honestly, I find that that argument, I found it slightly more convincing when I learned Greek and I read it in Greek, but it's still not like Will a, you read it in Greek for all of us right now? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I was mostly joking, okay. but give us a little, just for funsies. That would be fun. Give us like one verse in Greek. Uh, Y'all, first well, time we've ever done this on the podcast. We'll pick anything. We won't know if you're doing it right or wrong. It's well, but Dan, what about the, those nope. ones who know Greek out there? I, I have right? Do we not have it, any? So. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Y'all, he's going to literally speak in tongues right now. Ekmarusgar genoskamen, kai ekmarus prophetumen, hotan de elfe tantelion, ta ekmarus katar gethesitai, hate hemon hemen nepios. Man, it's been a while since I've been. That was embarrassing. Right, I know, right? Uh, oh my gosh! Wow. Okay. The reason I even assume that was right. <laughs> the perfect is is the question. It's yeah. a it's a neuter there. Uh, technical didn't didn't intend to get into this technical stuff, but we brought it up. The, the the perfect is is a neuter adjective being used as a stand-in noun. And so, if you think of this in in uh, in most languages, you have uh, masculine, feminine, or neuter uh, verbs or or nouns or adjectives, I should say. And so this neuter adjective is standing in for something else, the perfect. Normally you'd describe something as perfect, the perfect cup, the perfect microphone or whatever. Perfect podcast hostess. Perfect podcast mm -hmm. hostess. Yeah. And in that case, the adjective would be feminine, right? Because it's standing in for a female. Yes, thank you. <laughs> if it were describing that. a man, it would probably be put in the, the masculine. And yeah. adjectives can be put in any gender to match the noun that they're standing in for. Okay. So since it's a neuter, I'm sitting there going, most people will say the perfect must be the return of Christ. Mm -hmm. I'm going... Most cessationists will say, well, if it were, it would be a masculine because mm -hmm. it's talking about a man who's coming. Mm -hmm. 
like I said, that's not the best, most solid like ru- home run argument. But it was a little bit more compelling. It's like, okay, there's there's at least something there that made me go, maybe I should consider this view. Uh, and so that was that's that's the one verse that that cessationists will turn to and say, mm. this is the one that says it will cease. So where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. Um, and mine says, but when completeness comes, yeah. mm. what is in part disappears. That is, that's mysterious. Dan, what? how do you take that? those verses? And yeah. then maybe throw in some of your own that you... Yeah, obviously, I'm not convinced by it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the biggest... And I'm not a Greek guy, right? I took classes so I could pass seminary. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wish I had remembered it. But um, that argument that... The neuter ought to be masculine because it's referring to Jesus coming back. That that doesn't strike me as um, like good Greek grammar because wouldn't it be referring to the time he comes back or the moment he comes back or mm. the perfect returning or something like that? So it's yeah. it's at least one or two grammatical steps away from referring to Jesus. Um, hmm. And if you do read back down further in it, um, it says... For now we see in a mirror dimly, this is verse 12 of chapter 12, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So for continuationists, we point Mm. to this, and even a lot of cessationists will actually agree here that this is not talking about the ending of of the spiritual gifts after the apostolic era. Mm. Uh, But it is talking to the ending of these gifts Uh, when Christ returns and he ushers in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, because we won't need these spiritual gifts Mm -hmm. when we're with Jesus, because we will see him face Mm -hmm. to face and we will know him fully just as he even knows us fully now. And so to argue that this is actually the perfect coming is actually maybe the completion of the canon. Is that what you would argue? Yeah, I was. Or the end of apostolic era, or the canon, because that's the only neuter noun I can think of that would make sense there. Yeah, well, if you you apply that to this, though, the canon is closed, and we still don't fully know, and we are still not seeing Jesus face Mm -hmm. to face, and so it's really hard for me to see how this could be arguing for the ending of the spiritual gifts before Christ's return. I mean, and that part ends with, and these three remain: faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, and I've always understood that to mean that. Um, we won't need faith and hope when we're with Jesus, right? We won't anymore need to have faith because he'll be right in front of us. We won't have, mm-hmm. I mean, because he'll be right in front of us, but we will still have love. So that seems to kind of go along with what you're saying. Yeah. Do you have any other passages you wanted to bring to the <laughs> table for, for yeah, your Yeah, I mean, if you go to, I mean, to the two lists of spiritual gifts that are commonly talked about are in Romans 12 and... First uh, Corinthians 12, and they list all the gifts. And in fact, let's actually just turn back a page. Yeah. Did or, you want Stephen to read this in Greek? So I, no. You know, he's always welcome to, because no. if I were to try that, it <laughs> oh would be Oh my gosh, how many podcasts would be embarrassing. like, I'm out. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, you know, uh, 12.4 says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, and the varieties of service, but the same Lord. And it goes on to say, each is given a manifestation for the of the spirit for the common good, utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, um, faith, that's not saving faith, but you get it, um, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, ability to distinguish between spirits, various kinds of tongues, um, interpretation of tongues, all empowered by the same spirit. And Romans has a similar list, but it adds some. And um, so that's you know, when we see those lists, there has to be a very compelling reason for us to say those gifts were only for one era of the mm-hmm. church, and that era has ended. And I'm not, there is nowhere in scripture that there's like a clear dividing line, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. Stephen agrees with that, because yeah, there are so many circumstances. Thing. Yeah, you want like, like I, and this is part of why I like, I'm a cessationist, and I, I'm like, let me put some qualifiers on there. Most of the reason I'm a cessationist is experience, mm. not mm. here's a text that pointed me directly there. It's uh, it was what it was a lot of studying the text and going through, uh, so study of the spirit in general, not just this issue, but how does he work? Yeah. Uh, right when I finished seminary, I was like, that was top of my list to mm. to sort out because I didn't have it sorted out when I graduated, and so I just literally sat down and I went through every single occurrence of the word spirit in the New Testament. 
I was like, I need a category for all of these. I need, I need to be able to explain what's happening in each verse. And my theology of the Spirit totally changed from what I was like, kind of grew up in what I'd experienced. So that's one side of it is like, my understanding of the Spirit is, is really different. I think, I hope it's being informed by the text. But the other side of that is the experience side of, okay, if we're going to say that these things are going on, tongues, prophecy, healing, I want to I practice them the way the Bible instructs us to practice Agreed. them. Agreed. And that's where, like, I just haven't seen it. And so that's, that's my biggest my biggest argument for being a cessation. Well, let's go there a little bit because one of the texts you read talked about this idea of like interpretation. So let's just, let's hone in on the speaking in tongues thing. Um, when people talk about speaking in tongues, sometimes they're talking about what happened at Pentecost, mm-hmm. speaking another language. Yep. But I think most of the time that people say that term, they are talking about this, what what I've heard called a, a personal prayer language, mm-hmm. something that wouldn't be distinguishable to anybody here on earth. It's not a known language. It's, it's a language of the angels or whatever. Um, and the passage you read said that there has to be an interpretation of that. Maybe you can talk about what that might look like and if you've experienced that and maybe you can talk about where you've seen that kind of gone crazy yeah. or awry. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can definitely see, see two different types of tongues talked about pretty clearly in scripture. The first one you mentioned, Acts 2, where um, they're filled with the spirit, they come out on the street and they're speaking, they're preaching the gospel, they're preaching the good news of Jesus in um, languages from nations all under heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Like every conceivable language is there. And that is like the reversal of Babel, yeah. where um, they were given all different languages and it kind of moved them apart. Mm-hmm. Now God is saying, okay, look, this promise of Jesus is for mm. all people. It mm-hmm. is not limited to people who speak um, Aramaic, Aramaic yeah. or Hebrew or Greek. Um, it's for all people. And mm. so that's that's Acts 2. And, but what we see Paul talking about, especially in 1 Corinthians, he... Uh, mentions tongues of men and tongues of angels. So perhaps it's not a very clear passage to do those two things. But, <laughs> so perhaps he's talking about Acts 2 and tongues of men. But in tongues of angel, he talks about it quite a bit in uh, 1 Corinthians. And he even does, he even specifies, like, whereas Acts 2 might have been uh, really prophetic in nature, right? Um, it's directed toward the people. It's to tell them about God. It's for the benefit of the hearers, not the listeners. Paul makes it really clear that there's this other sort of tongues that's actually for the benefit of the speaker, hmm. it, unless it's interpreted. And it's directed not to people, but to God. And where, where is that? Can you, yes, is there a verse? Because I have searched and I have not, but maybe my searching. So it's in First Corinthians 14. Neuter. Uh, For the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. For one understands him, but he utters mysteries of the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So there you go, the different audiences. Mm -hmm. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself, builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want all of you to speak in tongues, even more to prophecy. And then he goes on at the very end of the chapter and he says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. So... Um, even while the speaking in tongues is a, uh, people call it a personal prayer language because it's speaking to God, just like we would be speaking to God in prayer. And it can be for the benefit of the community, but only if it's interpreted. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about walking into a church and, uh, people are just, uh, speaking in tongues kind of all over the place, it seems pretty chaotic. Mm -hmm. Paul very clearly says, let's not do that. Yeah. You know, um, if you're going to have someone speak in tongues, have it interpreted. If there's no interpretation, then basically sit down. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. 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 And that's that's my biggest. Thing. I'm open. I'm open to the possibility that that tongues are going on today. I just haven't ever seen it done. According to this, everywhere that I've seen where somebody claims to be speaking in tongues, they're doing it all at the same time. They don't have somebody there interpreting. Um, it, it goes like right in the face of what chapter 14 says mm. about how you should do this. So that's my big like, okay, if we're going to even even talk about, about doing this, we need to do it like this. That, yeah. That's my first big. Yeah, I have actually been in sort of the middle ground of that. I've experienced people speaking in tongues in a church service and someone, quote, interpreting. But my skeptic spidey sense went off because the person interpreting was like, well... They just are encouraging us. And then they said the most generic thing. It was like to be in unity, just to love each other and to love the world. It's like, well, that's great. But why why do we need that in tongues? I don't know. That's not particularly. 
when you're voicing another thing that, that a lot of cessationists will go to, and, and I have a little bit of sympathy for that argument, is, is what else does the spirit need to say? And if he's actually mm-hmm. saying it, does it have the same authority and weight as when he was speaking through the prophets, when men were carried along by the Holy Spirit to give utterance as, as they saw fit? Hmm. Uh, that if if it is, shouldn't we be adding it to the back of our Bible because it's from God? Hmm. Uh, but if it was new, that would be its own problem, right? Some sort of extra revelation that's not in the Bible. Well, that's that's the that's the big question. It's like, is the Bible done or is it not? And that's I say it's done. well, yeah. I want to take it back just one <laughs> second though, because that's a very important question. So yeah. let's not <laughs> ignore it. But I do want to talk about just the the argument from evidence or experience mm-hmm. is pretty limited mm-hmm. yeah. because you could imagine a brand new Christian who maybe was led to Christ through one friend, walks into a church uh, and the pastor, the way that he or she is teaching is clearly not biblical. Mm-hmm. It's clearly not following what the Bible is saying. Um, maybe their prayers, maybe they're not even to the triune God, yeah. things like that. That person, if that was his or her experience might say, um, well, then I think the gift of teaching needs to be done away with. Maybe we need, you know. And so um, I would encourage people who are, are questioning, like, is is this stuff real? And I've only had bad experiences. Mm-hmm. Seek out some people in your churches. Even if you're in a Presbyterian church or a cessationist church, I bet you there are people <laughs> who have had good experiences yeah. with the gifts. And I guarantee you, if you're in a, a city or town of any size, there are um, charismatic churches that uh, practice these gifts appropriately. You, you made me think of an interesting point. So back to my whole, I looked at every single occurrence of the word spirit, and my my theology on the spirit changed a lot. And this is where you mention it kind of offhand of, of uh, let me see if I'm if I'm representing you accurately, and then you tell me if I am, that the, that the concept of, of listening for the spirit is one that involves a little bit of uncertainty and a little bit of questioning and like, I think this might be what he's saying. Would you say that's accurate? Yes. This feels like a trap. Yeah. That's my that's my big problem. Because mm-hmm. I don't see anywhere in the Bible, and specifically the New Testament, where someone says, I think the Spirit is saying this. Mm-hmm. It's always, the Spirit said this. The Spirit testifies to you. Agabus, a New Testament prophet, comes up and he says, this is what the Spirit says. The, the one who goes to Rome is going to be bound like this. Paul goes in and goes into Jerusalem, he'll be bound like this. Mm-hmm. He's bound like that. It, it's never presented with a degree of uncertainty ever. Huh. And so that that was my big like turning point of like, if I'm going to be open to this, that's that's another one of those things like, I want it to match how they're doing it in here. Yeah. If you're going to say something's from the Spirit, you got to be sure and and damned sure. And I mean that in a technical sense, because if you speak for God and you're not sure and you're wrong, Ooh, yeah. you, are, you, you are bringing on yourself potential damnation for speaking where he has not spoken. Mm. That's where I'm like, this is a very serious thing to try and speak for God. Yeah. So if you're going to do it, you got to be really, really sure. Yes. And that, would you agree with that? Well, no, I wouldn't agree with what you said. (laughs) All right. Uh, I I agree that there is, uh, when you're um, prophesying or um, sharing interpretation of tongues, maybe, although I'll be honest, I've never experienced that one. Um, Mm that uh, there is some element of uncertainty where okay. it needs to be tested. And your suggestion, though, that nowhere in the Bible is there any place where prophecy is shared and it's, it's uncertain, that's not true. Okay. Because Paul references in the First Corinthians uh, where people are prophesying and you must test the prophecies. Mm. If Now, I know you will say, well, you're testing between true and false prophecies. Yeah. But... Um, I don't think it has to be limited to those two things. You're you're testing if the prophecy is is true. Yes, according to well, according to the apostles back mm-hmm. in the day and any letters or things that they had. And now we're now we're actually in an even better position to test those prophecies okay. because we have the whole canon. I do want to. Um, I want. Let's see. I want to read Exodus twelve six. Oh, so, allow it. Um, <laughs> How dare we bring the Bible into a conversation right. like this? Uh, By the way, I just really want to say I appreciate this conversation because I am—I have not figured out where I stand on this, and y'all are both making—I have—I haven't landed yet. 
So you're both doing a good job. Of I think neither of us really have either. <laughs> That's the <laughs> like we're closer well, to landing. But <laughs> uh, sorry, I said Exodus, but it's numbers. I wrote Exodus down in my notes. It's a good thing that I remembered it's actually numbers. <laughs> Because I was like, this is this is not I was the hoping, right spot. I was hoping you were going to go to Deuteronomy 18 and we could define profit. Y'all are but, so nerdy uh, right now. I love it. I was thinking you okay. were going to go. Okay. This is, um, uh, it's in Numbers. I'll read from verse 5. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward and he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he holds and he beholds the form of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So he's distinguishing here. God himself is distinguishing between Mm -hmm. Moses as one kind of prophet and other prophets in the community. Now, it doesn't talk about uncertainty here, but it does talk about uh, directly. But it does say riddles and it talks about visions and dreams. And we know from the Old Testament, too, that visions and dreams have to be interpreted. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um and then if you and like I said in the in First Corinthians, when Paul is telling the Corinthians, you have to test these things. You have to make sure. Um I would say your argument that there's nowhere in scripture where uncertainty is um described. That's not accurate. And it's I not would, uncertainty about what he said, but about what he meant. Mm-hmm. So let, like mm-hmm. Right, like he's he's speaking. He he gives them the the clear riddle or vision, and what what the vision was or the riddle was was clear. The interpretation of that thing might not be exactly. Clear. We're, we're reading Daniel. We're reading so it, but it's not a question of I'm not sure this came from him. Oh, mm. right. It's I'm sure this is from the spirit. Uh, perhaps, is, perhaps. But continuationists would say the same thing though. Yeah. That the communicator, uh, God. And the spirit are infallible. I mean, everything they say is, of course, right on. And when they're communicating to us, while they communicate, it's right. But we are not hmm. infallible. We know we're huh. errant. Um, we can misunderstand things. And this is not only applied to prophecy and to no, interpretations is, of you tongues. You see this when people are like, the Lord told me we should break up. You're like, yeah. okay. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, well, you're, you're getting into the but part we, of what But we also dovetails. see it in yeah. interpreting scripture. Yeah. yeah. Like yep. it is, yeah, we have the words. You have uh, pretty darn close to the original words yeah. sitting in front of you. And uh, we're still not sure. completely sure <laughs> on a lot of things. <laughs> right. Good point. And now we know enough. Yeah. To be able to test when people are teaching. Mm-hmm. And we know enough to know Jesus and to know him well and be mm-hmm. saved by Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still a lot of uncertainty. Mystery. Hence yeah. why we're sitting here and yeah. chatting. <laughs> For sure. If there were no mystery, we would have no podcast. <laughs> let me let me pivot us a little bit because we could do the rest of the time mm. just talking about tongues and, and we can come back to it. But let's talk for a minute about some of the stuff that I think the outside watching world thinks is for sure crazy sauce. Okay. And I, I honestly don't think there's going to be a whole lot of difference between the two okay. of us on Probably those not. things. No. So uh, I'm talking about things yeah. like being slain in the spirit or falling out in the spirit or holy laughter. Um, we'll get to faith healing later because I think that falls in a slightly different category. Yeah. But I've been to churches where they will sing songs where they'll actually accent the ha 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 of the hallelujah just to kind of partly work oh, people yeah. into a mm-hmm. breathing a something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people will be doing this. Like, I've heard holy laughter happen. Well, I've heard what people refer to as, quote, holy laughter happening. It was very strange. I didn't necessarily feel closer to the Lord. Um, talk about, or being slain in the spirit. We've all heard I mean, stories. About for me, there's a really them. easy text you can look at for this. Yeah. And it, it's one that most people are really familiar with. The, uh, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, thoughtfulness, and self-control. That's the last one. So if what you're being, dis- what you're doing, you would describe as losing self-control, I would say can't be from the spirit. Mm. Well, um, I mean, and, so where does self-control come into f- falling down and like fainting in the spirit? Right. Well, and most of the people, who, most of my friends who are in, in that kind of movement would say, yeah, the whole point is that you're losing yourself and you're not, you're, you're letting the spirit control you. So drunk in the spirit. Drunk in the spirit is a phrase that's really common. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, Drunkenness is something that's, that's, that's forbidden routinely, and yeah. self-control is a fruit of the spirit. So the two things that you just said just make me go, sorry, that's not, not from God. I've seen people who are at EDM concerts who do the exact <laughs> same thing. It's, it's an effect of music, lights. And yeah, yeah, my own background as a, as a magician like makes me go, and that's another big, big part of this whole thing for me, is like, uh, I, I was in the magic world, like, like, like performing illusions kind of thing, like stage magic. 
illusion, not Michael. Like, exactly. Sorry, <laughs> Thank you for quoting that. <laughs> That's great. Uh, but that makes me extra skeptical for a lot of those things. It's like, yeah. oh, the, the spirits. It's like, I, I know how those tricks work, how the stage tricks work of, of just influence and, mm. and suggestion and, and those mm-hmm. kind of things. It's like all the stuff that you're attributing, my, my super skeptic kicks in and goes, yeah, I know how to do that one. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just can't. Yep. I'm I'm not comfortable attributing that to God. Yeah. What uh, say you, continuationist? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are still things that make me really uncomfortable, obviously, yeah. and rightfully, because um, those made Paul uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know? And some of the things we're talking about here, like um, holy laughter, being slain in the spirit, things like that, these are not gifts that Paul talks about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps God does some of those things um, on occasion, I'm not going to rule that possibility out. God does what He does. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's my core theological conviction. There you God, go. God gets to do what He wants to do. That but, that sums up right. my theology. But let me just read this from you. <laughs> yeah, for you. This is First Corinthians 14. Let all things be done for building up. And this is in the context of spiritual gifts. Still, mm-hmm. if anyone speak in a tongue, let there be one or two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. So each in turn shows that this is not some ecstatic yeah. worship. Yeah. This is not um, people falling over and just stumbling into the microphone. This is, uh, or the front back then, I guess. They didn't have microphones. <laughs> um, this is orderly. Yeah. And let's keep yeah. reading. But if there is one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. If there's no one to interpret. So that's that's the, if there's no one to interpret these tongues, you guys, let's just sit down. Yeah. Okay. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. There again, there's some weighing what's said. And these are prophets that Paul's articulating. Like, So these are actually Christians. They're not mm-hmm. false prophets. And if a revelation is made to one sitting there, let the first be silent. So it just keeps going on. That, um, And Paul wants things to be done decently in an order. Verse 40 of chapter 14. That's like presbyterian like heart language right there it's gonna be decent and in order and he's talking about this (laughs) miraculous gifts here yeah he's not just he's not merely talking about um orderly musical worship or teaching worship that's right he's he's talking about how do we use these gifts for that can actually be used for the upbuilding of the congregation yeah i actually went to a church just for a little bit um in Tallahassee when I was in college, uh, Calvary Chapel, and they would have a separate service for people that were more comfortable with gifts of the spirit. And so that people on Sunday mornings weren't freaked out. And I, I kind of liked that. I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, that's respectful. I want to take it. I'm going to go to sort of a personal note here for a minute. Um, and Dan, you're aware of this because we've been to conferences that really highlight this kind of, uh, these kind of gifts in prayer time. I find myself, in my experience, I have never spoken in tongues. I've never had a word of knowledge. I've never healed somebody. Well, the Holy Spirit through me has not healed somebody. Those kinds of things. Well, uh, yeah, there's an asterisk there for another day. Mm-hmm. But um, I, have, you mentioned earlier the passage where it says to pray for these things. Mm-hmm. And I have prayed for them. And I think I represent a fair number of people in evangelical Christianity that have prayed for these things, want them haven't had them happen. And and actually, there are even some denominations that go so far as to say, if you don't have them, you're not saved. Nobody mm. at this table would say that. No. Um, but there is this idea that like, if there is this special gift from the Holy Spirit, and I want to be close to God, and it's not happening for me, what's that about? Why is it not happening? Why don't I have any of them? Can you kind of speak to that? Because I mean, we were at a conference one time where I got pointed at from the front, you prayed for me. It was lovely. Mm-hmm. I still haven't spoken in tongues or you know, had yeah. a word of knowledge for anybody or. Yeah, that's right. Well, the experience you're describing, it's not unique to spiritual or spiritual gifts either. Yeah. You know, I mean, many Christians pray for many things and God doesn't answer mm. the prayers with a yes. Yeah. And um, I want to take us actually Romans 12, where uh, Paul's again talking about the gifts of grace or uh, the spiritual gifts. And he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's use them. So according to the grace that's given to us. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, too, it's God who empowers all the gifts, and it's the Spirit who apportions the gifts according to his will. So we have to read those verses in the same uh, mental space mm-hmm. as pursue the gifts. Because what Paul is saying when he says pursue is he's not saying let's presume that if we pray and ask, God will give us the gift that we ask. 
He's saying, uh, pursue the gifts, pray for them, because if God has this gift for you, let's be open to receiving it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there is also great joy in the reality that I don't have all the gifts, you don't have all the gifts, Stephen doesn't have all the gifts. Stephen doesn't have any. He's a cessationist. No, he has plenty of gifts, for the record. He does have plenty of gifts. But um, the body as a whole has all of the gifts. Hmm. And that's the beauty of it. And I'm sitting here as a continuationist, and I don't believe I have any of the gifts that we're talking about. Oh, how funny. So, yeah. um, You said earlier you've experienced the gifts. I didn't know if you wanted to. Do do you mean that you've witnessed other people expressing? I have witnessed other people expressing them, and I've had uh, people prophesy Hmm. over me. Uh, That's been incredibly encouraging. And um, Hmm. some of the prophecies, you know, I still keep kind of in the back pocket of my mind, so to speak. And um, like I fall back on sometimes when I'm really discouraged or... um, And uh, of course, those prophecies, all they do is point to scripture, right? In a roundabout way. But at the same time, someone spoke that to me uh, in a really clear, articulate way of saying, test this, but I'm wondering if this is from God for you. And I've had people say that to me, and those things fell out of my mind real quick. But uh, certain things haven't. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and they align with scripture and all that. So, and then I've seen people healed physically. Oh, that's I, where we're going next. I've never, yeah. uh, I've never had someone healed as I pray for them, and I've prayed for plenty. But, um yeah. Can I ask as a so point of definition? Would you say that the that the definition or, or office of prophecy and prophet in the Old Testament and the New Testament are the same, or would you say there's a difference? I'm not prepared to answer it honestly. <laughs> okay. He's pleading the spiritual fifth. No, okay. I've I've gone back and forth on that quite a bit. Okay. Uh, if if I had to say where I am on that question, I'm leaning toward they're the same. Okay. Um, that's that's prophets in the Old Testament. My big frustration with cessationists is we they they want to keep some of these prophecy passages and then redefine prophecy to yeah. be talking about proclamation of truth or something. Yeah. I'm like, no, prophecy means prophecy, just like it meant yeah. in the Old yeah. Testament when you had a prophet and they came and prophesied. Yeah. Um, so you got to be consistent with your with your definitions. That's I, true. But there are not I, that many prophets in the New Testament, right? John the Baptist. Agabus is Agabus. I think is the only named one post resurrection. Let's just uh, say our listeners don't know who Agabus is. I mean, mm. I certainly do. <laughs> But let's just say. Agabus shows up, I think, twice in, in the book of Acts. Uh, he shows up once uh, around, what, 13? I don't remember the chapters. Uh, he, he shows up once to tell, tell the people to go, go to uh, Jerusalem, I believe. And then he shows up again near the, near the end of the book when Paul's about to go to Jerusalem. And he comes in and he prophesies saying, uh, the man who, whose belt this is uh, will, will be tied up the same way. Um, if you want to keep talking, I can find actual references for people. And then... Is this where I vamp? Yeah. Well, uh, while you're looking for that, I think I definitely want to talk about healing next. <clears throat> so we can talk about prophets and, you know, eating locusts and wearing, yeah. you know, hairy. Acts 21 is, okay. is this prophecy about Paul's belt. So you can go. Go for it. That one. Uh, it's, well, I was just going to give it so people can look it up on their own. Oh, Act, I see. Okay. Acts 21, you can go read about Agabus. Yeah. He's okay. a New Testament prophet post-resurrection who's who's predicting the future. And that would be, I think, the one big point of disagreement with us is I would say predicting the future is a necessary part of prophecy mm. to be in the office of prophet. Uh, and that's what I referenced earlier, Deuteronomy 18, when when Moses is giving the the test for a prophet, it's the way you test him is, is what he said going to happen actually happen? And that's how you know if he's a re- really a prophet from me or not. But doesn't that uh, sometimes happen posthumously? Like... Yes, I would say all of the all of the actual prophets had Isaiah. at least had at least a couple that were confirming their office as prophet mm. that said oh, okay. they, so they predicted the future and it came across came some. to pass and then then they were trusted as the prophet of Israel. That's right. There's a few distinctions I want to make here. Mm-hmm. First is between the office of the prophet and the gift of the prophet. Um, the office of the prophet clearly because Ephesians two twenty talks about how uh, the foundations of the church were built by the apostles and the prophets mm-hmm. and the cornerstone is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so what like I guess said in my opening that actually I believe the foundational element of the of the gift of prophecy is done when the closing okay. of the canon because the foundation's been laid. That's Okay, um, there, there's a point where I like, totally agree cuz that's my like, you also think the apostles are going on. But you're saying both of those oh, yeah, are yeah. done. Well, yeah, definitely the the office of the apostles um, well, I say definitely. I'm open to 
being convinced. Being convinced. But, but, but the view you hold right now was, yeah, is... Yeah, for sure. And um, the Office of the Prophet, I'm wishy-washy on, so don't peg me down on this. Okay. But um, the gift of prophecy is different. Mm. Because while prophets most certainly prophesy, um, other people prophesy who aren't in an office of prophecy. Because we see it. The Corinthian church was a mess, and they were, there were plenty of people who were prophesying. Hmm. And um, that's my big question: is is were they? <laughs> well, wait. Well, what about the is. what about the section about the women and the head coverings? And it talks about when you're prophesying, right? And the angels well, yeah, outside looking through the window. In First Corinthians 14, where he left off, was the the really controversial passage about women should not speak and must remain silent unless they're prophesying. Question, ask their husband. Uh, and that's that's in there, uh, and that was I wasn't gonna lob that one at you because because like because the whole point is we're we're both taking texts that we say okay we're not going to we're gonna say this doesn't apply in the modern age for X Y or Z reason, but I think you would say you, you would say even that one applies in the context of prophecy a woman should would you agree with that or no? oh I'm I'm not here to okay. <laughs> debate that <laughs> that's a okay. different debate that's a different we debate have okay not for found sure people willing to do that one um, really okay you know yeah. I'll come I back for that one. <laughs> I um, I, you're right. We're similar mm-hmm. in that we're saying these passages don't apply today. Yeah. Um, sort of. Okay. Because while you you're saying whole cloth, these gifts mm-hmm. don't apply after this uh, apostolic period. Um, but there are very, in my book, there are no convincing passages that say that. But. There is, there are verses that talk about the prophets and apostles being the foundation of the church, mm. and now people can correct me too, but I, I'm pretty convinced that the foundation of the church is closed after the apost- apostolic era. Um, yeah, we're in and, totally agreement there. Yeah, yeah, and so, but that doesn't mean that the gift of the prophet ended also. And yeah, I'll stop there. Let's. I, I want to move us along just for time's sake. And by the way, we had somebody on Facebook ask if each of you, and maybe you can be thinking about this to say at the end, um, if each of you have like a resource, a book or a video or something that you think like breaks down your position best for people to listen to or watch or whatever. So we'll we'll do that at the end. You can you can give your number one thing. Um, but let's talk a little bit about healing. Um, because I, you mentioned at the beginning that there are these three things. We've talked about tongues. We've talked about prophecy. Let's talk about healing. I have heard a lot of stories, especially outside of Western Christianity, like outside of America, where uh, people are being healed left and right. So is that, are you saying that's not still happening? Are you saying it's always happening because of gifts of the spirit? Like, just talk about that a little bit. I would say absolutely. God can heal whoever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. So miraculous healings are not a problem at all in my book. And And we should be praying for healing. Yeah, absolutely. We should be asking that God, God would see fit to to heal someone because that's what we desire. We're supposed to bring our desires to God, honestly. But if the, if the Uh, gift of healing was closed, like you said, tongues and prophecy were, then what does that look like from your stance? That like the office of healer is closed? Yeah, it's a, but yeah, basically someone who, who walks around and can exercise the gift of healing the way that, like the, the apostles did, where, where the apostle turns around and says, hey, you're healed, and then they're healed. Okay, uh, so faith healers would be an example of that maybe? Yeah, I would say those those guys are generally charlatans in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Like I said, I'm open to being convinced. I just need to see it. Uh, I'm I'm the doubting Thomas, I guess, on that front. It's like show me the evidence, and and I'll believe. Uh, the but healing, absolutely. My, I mean, big part of my testimony is uh, is the birth of my younger brother. He's he's eight years younger than me. He's got Down syndrome, uh, mm. but he was supposed to be stillborn. Mm. He was big important story in, in our family and a uh, big pivotal moment in my faith was, was I, I believe God miraculously healed him an hour before he was born. Wow. He had a shrunken right lung. And holes in his heart that were that were too big to sustain life. He came out screaming, and oh the the lung was was fixed, and the holes in his heart had had shrunk enough to be uh, fixed through surgery two years later. So, I am totally on board with with miraculous healing occurring. Mm. Uh, it's just it's just a question of how does it function, and I think it's totally a God's autonomous prerogative, not the uh, the gift that I can just exercise. Yeah. Yeah there's, two, yeah, there's two things there. Um, we agree mostly. Mm-hmm. So uh, the healing gift 
let's distinguish from an office. The healing office is never talked about in scripture, like apostle and prophet is. Hmm. Um, it's talked about as a gift. And so, um, and then we so agree that healing is done according to the will of God hmm. and not by any human, right? Like I cannot walk into any hospital if I had this gift of healing, which I don't believe I do, and just say, you are healed in Jesus' name, stand up, and <laughs> then they'd be healed. You know, that's, man. But would the, you say the, that's how they did it? No. Okay. Not at all. Because we even see, so. Like when Peter, John, when somebody to, just passes through Peter's shadow and he, yeah. okay. Yeah, see, that's a, that's a good example of what I'm saying, because uh, Peter wasn't even aware. It's just an incidental It's thing. not incidental. God According to God's providence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's go to John 5. John 5, 19. Um, Jesus is saying, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. And it goes on. This is not in the context of spiritual gifts, but this principle applies because we see Jesus in certain circumstances healing like the whole crowd, right? Yeah. We see other circumstances like at the pool of, uh, at Bethesda mm-hmm. where he heals one man, even though that pool was surrounded by yeah, people who sure were ill. Was. And so even Jesus, I believe, is not healing willy-nilly just because he has it. Uh, he's healing only when God the Father tells him, okay. we're going to heal this person. And I think that applies also for the prophets, the apostles, for people with the gift of healing, that this is uh, not something that you can use just when you want to, mm-hmm. but when God asks you to. And um, now, should we pray for healing when anybody asks us? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. maybe we didn't hear God tell us, let's let's heal this person. Mm-hmm. Um and that's there's the, maybe the we didn't hear yeah. maybe we didn't hear God tell us and that that's the kind of thing that just I just can't get on like I've never heard God tell me anything yeah mm. I've I've read this that's that's right. that's what I got and I, again that was part of my my uh, where my weird theology on the spirit that I think is completely consistent with this yeah but the, the, he's yeah, pointing to his Bible for those listening yeah, on the sorry. podcast uh, yeah for listeners yeah I'm, I'm pointing to my Bible um the I yeah I just I want to go by what's what's in the Bible and I. And I can't say that I've ever heard God speak to me. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm going, sh- should we be listening for God or should we should we be, to put it in a really kind of kind of not really fair and, and satirical <laughs> sort of caricature, is God up there going, uh, you know, I spoke to you, but I guess I'm going to have to do it the way you're asking me to just to get it through your, your, through your skull. Uh, if, you, if you just read the Bible, then I wouldn't need to do these speaking to you things. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I don't think that that's how God is, is sitting up there talking, but I do think he gave us the word and that should be our primary guide. I think you would agree with that phrase, that, that the word is the 100%. thing that trumps and that's, yeah. it's just this this iffy question. I just don't like iffies. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Man, but there's there's a lot of iffies in faith. You know? Yeah. And I mean, there's only two I'm really comfortable with. It's this, the Trinity, Trinity and the nature of Christ as being both fully God and fully man. It's like those are the two tensions I'm willing to rest in. And the rest I'm going, I think it's just I don't understand it right. If if I perceive tension or or, or something. Wow, going we're going to have to have here, you back on the uh, podcast. All that certainty. We'll talk about the, <laughs> yeah. the oh, I'm not saying, and I'm not saying I, I have the certainty. I'm just saying it is attained. It, it is there. It's possible. Oh, it could yeah. happen. Yeah. I see. We should desire for certainty and clarity, and we shouldn't expect to see a lack of clarity. Yeah. Huh. Uh, and this is an incredibly difficult thing. Yeah. Right? When, when someone who loves and trusts Jesus yeah. says they've never heard, that's hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you? Yeah. But hmm. first, sorry, that got personal. We I don't think, have to go there. No, we can go there. But I want to. I want to speak to this first. That I want to encourage you first that God has spoken to you, especially through the word. Through of God. the word, yeah. That's... And He's. I mean, that is primarily how He speaks. And so you've heard that. You've heard God's voice. Exactly. And I've heard God. I would say I've heard God's voice through the Spirit through my fellow believers mm-hmm. gathered at the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that's amazing. Right now. Yeah, uh, what we're doing. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, and he's spoken to you like in the healing of your little brother. Mm-hmm. That's unreal. That's so cool. So <laughs> I I don't have a good answer for you. 
Uh, you know, for why some people here, like I'm in this group with a guy in Louisiana who like he journals and he hears, he hears clearly from God every Mm -hmm. day. That's not me either. Um, so I don't know why some of us hear more clearly and in certain ways than others, but, um, if we do want to go to scripture and see what it says in my reading of it, it seems to be pretty clear that it's a we worship a God who speaks, and he, we worship a God who speaks not only through Scripture, but also through the community of faith, empowered by the Spirit, and even in private moments. Uh, yes, you know, God. I'm with you in all of them except that last one. Yeah. But uh, I would say what, what a lot of people attribute to the voice of God is actually the conscience speaking to them. Hmm. That I think we just neglect because, like, the conscience is all throughout the the Bible and the New Testament. Like, that's again when I was looking at the word spirit, I'm realizing the conscience is popping up in a lot of places here, hmm. and I think it's just a mis- misunderstanding of how God's built humans. Of of we have this thing called the conscience that speaks to us in, in a in our thoughts and our it, it compels us towards a particular action or, or directs mm-hmm. our will somewhere. And sometimes I would say even Romans nine one says like the spirit uses the conscience sometimes, but not always. And and so I I think we're often confusing what what is ac- what is actually the conscience for the voice of God, and I huh. I think that that clears up a That's lot of the 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 issues when you just go like so go through and read every occurrence of the word spirit and every occurrence of the word conscience. And I think that what we should expect to see is very, very clear communication from God, no doubt whatsoever what he's saying or that he's the one saying it. Uh, maybe some doubt as to, okay, he's given me an image and I need to interpret it, and there's some uncertainty about how to interpret it, but what the image is and and who, who it's coming from is never in question. Hmm. And the rest of the time, the stuff that we're attributing to the Holy Spirit, I would say we should be attributing to the conscience. Yeah. It's, it's this mechanism that God has built into humans. I know, I, I can hear that you want to respond to that, but for time's sake, I want to move us along, that's if that's okay, because okay, mm-hmm. we're almost done. Yep. Um, I want to talk about some of these terms that I've heard over the course of years, especially through churches like, you know, the Vineyard and Assemblies of God and some of these places, the second filling mm-hmm. or the second blessing or the baptism mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. Those three things, I know they're not the same, but I've heard them used interchangeably. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe one of you or both of you can kind of define what they are and where you agree or disagree that that's a thing that happens. Well, I mean, uh, baptism of the Spirit definitely happens. We see the the phrase used throughout Scripture in a in a couple of different places. Uh, but I think we would both agree it's just it's the it's it refers to the the fact that all believers, when they first believe, receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It comes down and and indwells them and and gives them uh, His seal. Okay, the, real quick. Uh... I've heard a lot of people talk about that moment and they're like, I felt, you know, like something mm. was washing over me or mm-hmm. I felt a heat or I felt blah, 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 or I felt this love. And I believe those people's stories, but there are a lot of people that feel nothing. nothing. Mm. Yeah. Would you can't even pinpoint a moment. Yep. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. But it's still happening. You think? Yeah. You don't, I, there's not a necessary feeling that has to go along with it or a. Right. Yeah. There's another fancy theological term, regeneration, meaning when, when you, when you cross over from death to life would be the language that Paul uses. Mm-hmm. I don't know when that moment was in my life, but mm-hmm. I would say whenever that moment was, was also when I received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and his yep. seal. Okay. Uh, yep. Yep. Agreed. And, um, especially like classical Pentecostals, this mm-hmm. is definitely where the second filling uh, idea comes in and they would say that um, you, I'm, if you're a Pentecostal out there, I'm sorry, I'm going to really probably butcher this. But <laughs> you can come on the podcast yeah, and correct Yeah, please him. do. But there are two different moments, right? There's um, maybe regeneration. I don't know what language they use, but there's salvation and then there's a second filling of the Spirit. And the second filling of the Spirit is like confirmation that you're saved. And oh boy. that's when it is and it's accompanied by speaking it's in It's accompanied tongues. oftentimes, yeah. It depends on what Pentecostal you talk to. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, they uh, would look to Acts 19 for their, their yes, view, just yeah. so you know if you want to be looking this up. Um, yeah, hmm. it is accompanied by very explicit manifestations of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that is not shown in Scripture at all. Because for one thing, uh, like Stephen was saying at the very beginning, uh, talking about fillings of the Spirit, plural, that happens absolutely because Paul even commands us in Ephesians be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the spirit, and mm-hmm. it's that you know Greek, so it's continue on being filled yeah. with the spirit. Talking to Christians already. It's Ephesians five eighteen. So if you're talking wonder. to Christians who already have the spirit and saying be filled with the spirit, what's the command there? What's the what's he saying? That's right. So being filled with the spirit is an ongoing deepening mm-hmm. of um, 
of God's presence in your life. And that can look like receiving different gifts, but it can also look like uh, your character changing mm-hmm. and forming into Jesus, uh, the likeness of Jesus and things like that. So hmm. um, the yeah, baptizing the spirit, it's not a second experience. It's at conversion. And then yeah. this second blessing, is that the same thing as second filling? I believe so. Okay. Yeah, you, yeah, and most Pentecostal formulations. So it sounds like same. both of you agree baptism yes. of the Holy Spirit happens when you come to know Christ or follow him, even if you don't can't pinpoint that right. moment. Yep. And the second filling is not biblical. But the well, there, ongoing filling is. Yeah, there are sure there'll There's, be a second filling but and it, a third and a fourth yeah, yeah it's like exactly, extra helping exactly. at the dinner table but yeah. but this idea that there's this confirming moment where you first speak in tongues that's like aha and when we got to be clear when we're saying we're, it's not biblical what we're saying is we're trying to to put this whole book together in one one cohesive unit and understand it and build our theology there are passages that describe something kind of like what they're talking about yeah. mm. acts 19 being one of them I, I think that they're interpreting that passage incorrectly in the lens of mm. how this story is unfolding and what, what each thing is doing at each point. Okay, good That's distinction. Right. It's biblical, right. but how do we understand it? Right. Yeah. Okay, so we are almost out of time, and I definitely wanted to get to this last question, and then also, you know, you can tell people what to listen to or read, but uh, I'd love if each, each of you wanted to just tell us maybe some common misconceptions about your position that maybe don't accurately describe where you stand. Maybe you've already done that, mm-hmm. but just if people were caricaturizing you, how might that look? And what would you say is not correct? Yeah, uh, we did touch on most of them. You know, yeah. I think um, second filling is often put with continuation as general, and that's not true. Um, and that uh, one thing that we haven't touched on is often charismatics or Pentecostals or continuationists generally are kind of accused of being Christians who leave their brains at yes. the door. Mm. All emotion. And that's most certainly not true either. It might be true. Right. But For it's individuals. Not, it's not, yeah, that's right. It's, it's not, not necessary. necessary. Yeah. And I would encourage you, like, the life of the mind, the life of the spirit must go hand in hand because Paul commands it. Mm-hmm. And, well, not just Paul. The Bible commands it. And, uh, or God through the Bible. So let's not leave our brains at the door. Mm. Yeah. Spoken like a true Presbyterian. I like also, it. Also, <laughs> just add to that another mischaracterization for continuationists is leaving the Bible at the door. Not just your brains, but saying, mm-hmm. look, I have the spirit. He's talking to me. I don't need all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, yeah. That's right. Oh, look, uh, they're defending each other. That's uh, that's what a good debate looks like. What about you, Stephen? Um, mischaracterizations for for cessationists would, would be, and like like Dan said, it's like, they're not all necessarily mischaracterizations. There are individuals yeah. who hold these things. It's just they're the loud ones who we don't like. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that the spirit's not doing anything; he's not active at all in this mm-hmm. age. Mm-hmm. Um, the the idea that dark. he's right, yeah, that, that's right that miracles do not happen, and uh, and God can't like his hands are tied because he's because he's promised to cease during this time. Oh wow! Um, so there, those those kind of just um, and again, part of me is like I agree with the extreme skepticism, mm-hmm. but at the same time, God can do whatever He wants to do whenever He wants yeah. to do it. So yeah. Um, yeah, that that would be the the main thing is is thinking of us as as old curmudgeons who wanna who wanna sit over God and say, well, you can't do this because because uh, you've ceased, and it's yeah. like, oh, we're not we're not gonna go there. Um, and besides, you're a young curmudgeon. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, okay. So, do you have a resource that you could throw out to our listeners, like if you want to know more about the continuationist camp, what would that be? Yep. Uh, the book I brought. Oh, look hey, at that. He's uh, actually this out. is a pretty they new one. Did. Faith and Sacrament, an invitation to you, charismatic worship. You Spirit charismatic. and Sacrament? What did I say? Faith. Oh. And just if people aren't watching, if they're just listening. Yeah. It's Spirit, called Spirit and Sacrament. And sacrament. Uh, it's by Andrew Wilson. He's a Anglican priest mm-hmm. in the UK. And uh, just really encouraging charismatic worship blended with high, not just high church, but uh, um, Eucharistic worship, sacramental mm-hmm. worship. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I, I Okay, so Spirit it. and Sacrament is yep. from, that's Dan's recommendation. Stephen, what about you? I honestly don't He's don't like, have just read one. the Bible, yeah. It really is. My, <laughs> my line, whenever somebody asks me for, for a book to recommend, I'm like, there's 66 that are great. They're all bound together <laughs> if you go to Barnes & Noble. 66 like, books worth reading, read those, and uh, and try and draw your conclusions from from that. And I know it. I'm not saying that to try and sound like, you. oh, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm going you. to the Bible and you're going to these extra things. But I honestly just, I don't have one because I, yeah, I, this is how I try and always build my arguments and yeah build, uh, that's fair dan likes the bible too i can yeah. attest to that so um okay if people want to talk to you more and pick your brain about this or send you angry emails mm. where can they find you um so reason to refrain.com r-e-a-s-o-n-e-d 
reasoned refrain. Exactly. Dot com. Dot com. And you can email Stephen at reasoned refrain dot com. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N. The correct spelling. I say that too. The biblical spelling. Yeah. My name is not Stephen, but you know, it's also in the Bible. Dan, what about you? Yeah. You can find me at MDPC on most Sundays. And if you go to the website mdpc.org and go to the staff link, my contact info is right there. Yep. And, uh, same for me, but also you can find Theology on Air and Theology on Tap on Facebook, Theology on Tap Houston, and of course, everything you need to know about life. No, I'm kidding. That's in the Bible. <laughs> but a lot of cool stuff about TOT is on HoustonTOT.com, um, and we would love if you also wanted to go to whatever podcast platform you use and uh, rate us, review us, subscribe, so that we can keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Um But I think that wraps us up for now. And so thank you guys both for coming. And until we talk again or we debate about something else, I encourage you to question freely, think deeply, and disagree as needed.